0: more and more today people are thinking about um, kind of what products they're buying and whether they could be buying things in a slightly more responsible way. And I think to suddenly to to be launching a a new company just because you've had the idea won't won't necessarily ring as true as there's a reason to do this. And I think that's, that's, um, that's something that I would definitely recommend.
1: You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. I invite you to join me every Tuesday and Friday when I'll be sharing the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering you advice on making in the UK. Let's crack on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Make It British podcast. Now I've got an interview today with a chap who I think is pretty brave. His name is Jack Millington and he and a co-founder set about setting up the UK's first ever goat tannery for over 50 years. Now anyone that knows the leather industry knows it's setting up a tannery is no mean feat. And Jack's going to tell us all about why he did such a crazy thing and what the pitfalls were that were involved in setting up his business. Now, I think the Billy Tannery business is fascinating because there's more and more companies in the UK setting up their own sustainable businesses where they are responsible for completely vertical operation, creating the raw materials, manufacturing the product and selling it to direct to the consumer, which is what Billy Tannery does. And not only that, but they're also collaborating with other brands as well as they do so. So in this interview with Jack Millington, he is going to talk all about the different types of leathers that come from different animals. In case you were wondering what's so special about goat leather. And also the processes involved in not only setting up the tannery, but tanning the leather too. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Jack. And also just to remind you, there will be no Friday episode this week with the podcast because I'm still away on holiday. But I'm back next week and we'll be back to two shows a week as of next week. Okay, now let's go over to the interview with Jack. Hello, Jack. Thank you very much for joining me on the Make It British podcast.
0: Well, it's great to be here.
1: Um, So you are my first goat tannery, obviously, um, on the podcast. In fact, you're my first tannery altogether, I think. So for those people listening, do you want to tell them a little bit about your background? How did Billy Tannery come about?
0: Yes. So um, Billy Tannery is the, the first British goat leather company. And we basically came about over a a number of years, where I found out that there were thousands of goat skins going to waste in the UK um, that were left over from the growing goat and dairy, uh, goat dairy and meat industries, and found out that basically none of these skins were being tanned in the UK. uh, So tried to to work out how we might go about doing that, Um, and that was a, a quite a long process because. It sort of coincided with um, over the last sort of 10, 20 years, the, the leather industry in the UK has declined quite significantly. So, mm. um, yeah, it wasn't an easy task, but, uh, but yeah, we, we, we now are uh, set up. We, we have a tannery. We have a, uh, a brand selling um, goat leather goods under the Billy Tannery name.
1: Brilliant. So we'll come on to that in a bit. In a minute, a little bit more about exactly how you set it all up. Just first backtrack a bit. You said you're the first goat tannery. So was there no one in the UK tanning goats at any point, or has there just been a bit of a break and you've reinstated it into the UK?
0: Well, it's it's a little bit hard to find um, that out exactly, but we we know that at the moment and definitely for the past maybe. <laughs> 50 years, there hasn't been anyone in the UK tanning um, goat skins that are actually from the UK. So the way that um, the industry works is that uh, a lot of the uh, the goat, uh, there is goat leather tanned in the UK, but it's actually technically dressed and, and dyed in the UK. So it, it will be skins coming in from um, all over the world, um, already sort of part tanned, and then uh, it, companies in the UK will dye it and, and finish it and, and, and sell it off um, in, in that format.
1: So do you want to explain then to people who maybe haven't visited a tannery before what the processes are from taking the goat skin? So you, you mentioned there that some will be from imported skins. What are the processes involved in tanning a goat skin without getting too techy on us?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, the, there, there are a number of processes that uh, have to be uh, have to take place p- before you can t- you can get from a, a, a skin that's left over from the meat and until you get to a piece of uh, of leather that can actually be used for, for making a product um, the the simplest way to to sort of explain that is that basically what you're trying to do is take everything out of the skin that might uh, might go off might cause it to to spoil and then you're replacing um, We're replacing it with tannins, which are um, are basically going to going to give it the properties of leather and uh, and make it not go off and also be supple and um, and useful. Basically, Um, and they're basically we will get the skins in um, in a salted form, so uh, they are uh, preserved in salt until until we use them. and the first stage is basically we have to get the we have to get the hair off um which is uh which is done in one of our two tanning drums and it's basically a process of it's called liming um and it's essentially using common lime that, uh, that most people would know of and in, in solution that basically will um, remove the hair but also start that, that process of removing proteins and and uh and things from the skin that we that we need to remove in order to um, uh, to stop it from going off,
1: and that process is not done by anyone else in the UK with goat skins.
0: No, exactly. Yeah, so there's no one else doing that stage, which is the which is the sort of the the, the, the actual tanning um, from a raw skin. No one else is doing that in in the UK. Um, but but yeah, once once that's, the, the hair has been removed. Um, The process is, there are a few stages which I probably don't need to go into into (laughs) quite detailed, but once the skin is prepared for tanning, we we move it from our first drum into our second drum, which is where the actual tanning takes place, and that is when we introduced um, Mimosa Bark. Um, which is the the tannin that we use, which is a, a vegetable tannin um, from a, uh, a, tr- a mimosa tree, which is um, which is grown out in, in South Africa, and and that is the um, the, the tannin that actually gives us that um, that leather colour, that sort of um, tan colour, and uh, and yeah, that's when after that process we actually have leather for the first time.
1: So, did you know anything about tanning and leather before you started this business? <laughs> Because you're no. quite young aren't you <laughs> uh yeah you're, so I, you're not yeah, like... I knew absolutely I knew nothing yeah.
0: about leather before I started this my my background is in is in marketing so it it's uh it sort of came about because my my dad is a is a farmer and um he he ended up with with quite a lot of goats on his farm um for reasons only he can explain um <laughs> and and basically I was trying to help him with the with the business and and knew that there was well once um if you're eating meat you're you're left over with with the skin which is goes into into making leather but as that wasn't possible in the uk at the time i started asking lots of questions where where i might be able to get it done who might be able to help me and um over a stage of probably two years or so i I ended up being introduced to um uh, a guy called paul evans who at the time was a lecturer at the university of northampton uh, in their leather school and he basically was very enthusiastic about it and we went <clears throat> we went back and forth over email and eventually that led us to to where we are which is having our own tannery.
1: Brilliant. So you're operating that um 24/7 are you at the moment? How how you know how does that run and how many people are involved in keeping that tannery, tannery operating?
0: So It's not, it's not running at full capacity at the moment. Um, we, uh, we call it a micro tannery and the fact that it is, it is small. We have compared to most tanneries, we have, we have two very small drums. It's a small room. Um, our drying capacity, which is our uh, sort of the amount of skins that we can dry at one time is, is quite restricted. Um, so we're slightly different to most, uh, leather businesses in that we produce predominantly our leather for our own products. Um, which means we don't have to operate at full capacity. We are we literally we, we're tanning maybe twice a month um, batches of around hundred skins, which which we then use for our for our own range of products and and for um, some cl- collaborations that we've done. And when we are just starting to get to the point where we are um, selling leather to, to other people, but that, that's quite a recent thing.
1: So you're completely vertical in that respect, which is just fantastic because you're then in charge of your own. Raw materials, aren't you?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's it's great. There are obviously pros and cons to that um, because we uh, most leather goods companies they just they know exactly how much leather they need at any one time and they they buy it in. We are we are slightly at the, the whim of our <laughs> what what we can produce ourselves, which um, obviously does have a few uh, challenges. But on the whole, yeah, the the, <clears throat> the vertical integration means that that we we have a lot of control over the, the whole process.
1: And um, but then once you've tanned the leather and you say you've, you now make it into leather goods, do you want to tell everyone the sort of products that you now make it into? And are you in, in control of production for that as well? Do you do that in-house as well?
0: So we, we don't do that in-house, um, but we uh, have close ties with a couple of UK-based uh, workshops. Um, and we spent we spent a lot of time um, looking for the right uh, workshops for, for our needs we we obviously uh, some some factories obviously want large minimum orders we 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 tend to sort of do smaller more regular batches just to stay in line with our our leather production so so yeah we have um a range of products uh that are in the i guess the small leather goods category so we have um card holders key wraps um and a few other products that we're launching in that space this year. And then we have our bags, which are um, we have a, a tote bag, briefcase, and a, a roll top backpack, which are made in a, in, a, in another workshop, um, which is down in Somerset. But um, but yes, we we don't have that in house, but we it's as good as we have. We have great great relationships with those workshops.
1: And are there any restrictions on the sorts of products you can make from goat skin? Because. There are differences, aren't there, in the handle of goat skin compared to leather that's been made from cow skin, for instance, or sheep skin, isn't there? Do you want to sort of explain a little bit about what's specifically so special about goat skin?
0: Yes, so there, there are there are sort of quite important differences between the types of leathers from, from different animals. And I think, sadly, these days, you kind of leather is leather, I think. Your mm. people don't really think about that they have potentially come from different animals that that might mean that they have um, different uses or uh, hundreds of things sort of whether they're more sustainable or how they've been reared or anything like that. But goat, in terms of its actual physical attributes, is uh, is a, is a, it's a bit thinner than than cow leather, obviously because it's a smaller animal. But but the sort of the grain you get on it is a sort of incredible um, pronounced. Um, sort of grain pattern, almost like a sort of a pebbles uh, pattern that you get that, that varies from from skin to skin, and that and that's just the the primary thing that that we talk about. Um, but it, but in terms of it's it's, it's slightly thinner, obviously, um, but mm. it, but is is also really really strong at that thickness. So. It is very versatile and I think that was one of the things that when we first started we were we, we wanted to know what the best thing you could potentially use goat leather for and that takes a bit of a bit of trial I think it's it's used for lots of things we um, bags is a good one um, book binding is a is a traditional use for for goat leather and that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years maybe thousands of years um, mm. it, it's just it, it, it's perfect for that for that kind of use
1: and it's also I mean when you get down to sort of kid leather so small small baby goats it's used a lot for gloves isn't it traditionally in the glove making industry yes traditionally
0: yeah i mean we we call ours goat leather it is the the meat the and the the goats they come from are um technically it's it's kid goat meat it's the sort of same age as lamb um but we um we 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 use the word goat just so that it's a it's a bit clearer for people i think the word kid obviously has other connotations when
1: uh, yes (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah, that I can understand. It was a bit, bit like um, the trouser company Hevtro Co. So, when they started making trousers out of a fabric called moleskin, they had people thinking it was actually made from the skin of moles.
0: Yeah. And that. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, maybe I, you get that with kids' skin. Yeah, I can see that might be an issue.
0: And, and actually, I, whether whether this is something that people want to hear, but they, uh, <laughs> on the topic of moleskin, we actually, uh, it was a while ago, it was probably a couple of years ago, actually. Uh, were contacted by a, um, a sort of a pest control person who themselves also thought that moleskin was made out of actual moleskins and was, was trying to work <laughs> out whether we could we could do anything with, <laughs> with
1: oh brilliant.
0: From their business which unfortunately as you know we can't because moleskin is just a type of
1: <laughs> yeah exactly small furry animal so do you get contacted by other people who want to want you to produce leather for them and, and is that something that you do.
0: So, so yes, we do. Uh, we, we we get contacted quite a lot about that, and actually, we at the moment it's not something that we're we able to do, just because we are we are very set up to tan um, goat leather that is uh, of a specific type and a specific size that that we that we've sort of developed for our for our own use, and and really we we just don't have the capacity. Uh, to, to to take on tanning other other items for other people at the moment it's its it, it's definitely something that that we would like to do in the future um because as I said we, we do get contacted about it a lot it's just we're we're not set up for it quite quite yet
1: so in in that case if someone wanted to set up their own tannery be that to tan goat or cow or sheep what's what are the three biggest issues that they should look out for if what what are the what are the pitfalls in setting up your own tannery? I'm sure there must be quite a few well, yeah, I mean there are there are lots of
0: <laughs> uh, complexities to, to setting up as we have gradually found out as as we've gone along. I mean the main thing is access to um, the to the knowledge um, and yeah. to the expertise because uh, we had to be taught how how to do it but we are very lucky in that being in the midlands, we're very close to to Northampton and the yeah. Sort of, area where there is still a sort of a concentration of people that know exactly uh, how to tan leather and how to get hold of the equipment and all that kind of stuff so so that is one of the if not the most important thing is, is having access to to the knowledge and, and people who are willing to help you out um, the the other thing is obviously the equipment um that there, there aren't that many tanneries left in the uk and therefore on the one hand there there is uh, there is a sort of a bit of equipment around the place that is sort of left over from tanneries that have closed down, but tracking that sort of stuff down is 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 quite time consuming and quite hard and 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 generally stuff does end up just getting sort of shipped off to to other countries which yeah. is um taken out of um of u k tanneries which 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 yeah so finding the right equipment is obviously quite hard and it's and it 's not cheap so it's not it's not um it 's not necessarily any, an easy thing to get into but the, the, I would say the other the other thing is is to do with um sort of environmental um, uh, from from the environmental perspective that that's probably the thing that people think of a lot when they think of a tannery they think of pollution they think of um, uh, sort of you know, nasty smells and all that kind of stuff and we we've spent a lot of time and effort trying to minimize all of those all of those things in the way that we tan our leather and, and in the way that we're set up. Um, which basically mean that we could um, that, that we were approved to to build our tannery and to, to tannery in the way that we do by our local council and um, and also from the sort of environment agency perspective as well
1: gosh uh, that must have been a lot of red tape to get through and quite how long did that process take you uh,
0: it took probably about a year Um uh, it, we 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 built the tannery before we even knew that we had to do all this stuff. So, <laughs> oh gosh! It was it was a case of uh, it was potentially easier because we kind of knew what we were uh, what we were actually doing and what um, what our setup was. But it it, it was a case of getting ret- retrospective um, planning permission and also uh, just working out what permits and stuff we needed. Um, the the benefit of uh, which it, it was actually a, a happy. Um, coincidence in the end. The benefit of our size and the fact that we are a micro tannery means that we don't have the same uh, uh, environmental um, controls as as a tannery over a certain amount of leather being produced. So that that was quite helpful and and is another reason why we we stay small.
1: So do you think, a bit like we've seen a, a boom in micro breweries, do you think we'll start to see a bit of a boom in micro tanneries and micro factories?
0: Well, i'd like to think that that more people will be uh inspired by what we're doing with leather i think we've been going we built the tannery probably three and a half years ago the business is going for a couple of years now but so uh, we we've spoken to a few people who are who are doing um uh, or trying to do similar things in all over the country i think it's i would i don't know whether we will see a sudden boom of it i think it's it's not it's not quite uh it's a different sort of thing to, to say brewing your own beer and trying to sell beer it's a it's um it's potentially a little bit more complex but um, yeah it sounds but yeah, like so. it
1: yeah not sort of something you can do at, at home like you can with homebrew home, home tannery well you, you probably could uh, <laughs> could you so if i wanted to set up a tannery in my back garden with a how many drums would i need just the one
0: well, I mean, you could do it with a um, it, with a, in a in a dustbin or something like that. You would just have to know the the specific the formulas uh, for the treatments to be using, which which obviously that information isn't that easy to get hold of. But but yeah, that was that was one option <laughs> given to us at the start. Was you could get some big dustbins and literally Gosh, start them by that, hand and everything like that. But we, um, we decided that probably wasn't the best way to go.
1: That really is going back to the old days then isn't it how (laughs) tanning used to be done so you've mentioned you know support from um northampton university how how has the leather industry as a whole um supported you have you found that they've all been very welcoming
0: yes they have yeah i think um it's one of those things when when you first start um you get a lot of there's a lot of encouragement we had people um were, were very um, forthcoming with with advice and everything, lots of people saying that well, we are absolutely mad to be doing what we 're doing <laughs> um, but good luck to us that, that type of thing but um, but yeah as as um, I believe you were you were there last year at the uh, leather industry um, dinner and um, and yeah that, th- those types of events where sort of the remaining people left in the leather industry in the u k get together and chat are are fantastic and we we have been welcomed um, welcomed in. And we get lots of advice and, and help from from other businesses. That's uh, brilliant. From that so, network
1: because you're coming in as the young disruptors to the industry. I think that's fantastic. Really, yeah, really good. Yeah. So, um, what are your plans going forward then for for the business? How do you see it growing in the next few years?
0: So, so we've got some, some really exciting plans in in the pipeline. I said that we we kind of focus on our, uh, our own line of products. Um, we've got um, a, a sort of a host of, of more, more um, leather goods coming through the pipeline um, to, towards the end of this year and, and then into, into next year. So that's, that's, that's always going to be our main focus. Um, but on the side of that, we, um, we, have, we did a, our first footwear collaboration. Yeah, um, you did, didn't you? With year.
1: Crown Northampton. How did that come about?
0: So that that came about um, by a sort of, we sort of were aware of each other from from social media and, and stuff like that but we happened to be next to each other at a, an event um, a, a, probably a couple of years ago and we just got a, got chatting and um, I said to, to the guys at, at Crown that we'd be really interested to see whether our leather could be used for, for a pair of their sneakers and about I, I gave them um, a piece of leather and not expecting to, to get much back that quickly, but literally a week later, I had a pair of sneakers arrive, um, made out of our leather and it, <laughs> it all, it all came together quite quickly after that. So we, so we, um, we, we launched a collaboration last September, which we used, um, a few of our, um, different, um, our core leather colors with one of their existing sneaker designs, their Overstone sneaker. And we, we launched that as a sort of a, a special edition collaboration with them, um, which, which went really well. So. So we are. Um, I can announce that we are actually going to be redoing that this September.
1: Brilliant! Um, that's so, good to hear. So we
0: are. Yeah. So we're we're building on um, on last time, and we'll be adding uh, a, a slightly different style, maybe a couple of extra colours to to what we did before. But that, that that's a sort of um, a really exciting thing that we're doing. Um, in September, so so yeah, that that's something that's quite big on on the horizon as well. And any um, other
1: collaborations? Do you think is that because I mean, the fact that you're tanning goatskin, skin, there's all sorts of different products that you could put it into, isn't there? Not just within sort of fashion and accessories, but homeware yes. and interiors. Is there yes, any other collaborations exactly. in the pipeline?
0: There are, yes. Yeah. So we're having um, we're having lots and lots of conversations with with people in different. Um, categories i guess because as you say yeah, there are lots of things we could be doing with our leather so we're, we're always happy to talk to, to other people and, and and work out whether our leather would be suitable and then and then whether we could um whether that works for both brands and stuff like that because because yeah as you say homeware is something we are we're looking into um we're, we're sort of quite far down the line with that at the moment actually so that that's something that is probably likely to be for for next year but um but yeah watch this space yeah, exactly. Watch the space, um, and and then obviously there are other within the fashion space of um, apparel, uh, jackets, and um, things like watch straps and uh, and other types of shoes other than sneakers. We are um, we're, we're we're really interested to to sort of see what all the different things we can do with our with our leather. Um, so so yeah, there are plenty of those sort of things going on. We um we we also um, because of the the links that we have with um, with the food industry because our skins are, are essentially a waste product from a, from a, a meat supplier that we work with called Cabrito. We, um, we, we also, we talk about that connection a lot, which, which other leather companies don't really do. I think it's something it's sort of new ground really is that sort of reconnecting people with the sort of link with leather and food. And, and on that side, we, we started doing quite a few little bespoke projects for, for restaurants or um bars and and sort of food businesses who are potentially looking for a slightly more sustainable um menu holder or um bill presenter or um aprons and stuff like that so yeah of course so, yeah so so yeah we've done a few of those um in the past sort of six months or so and we've got uh, quite a few more in the, in the pipeline so so we're all yeah we're looking to to sort of further uh, strengthen our links with with the food industry because it's just such a great story.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, your story as a whole is fantastic. I can see how people would buy into it because you have the whole story, don't you, From for the whole supply chain, which is what I'm seeing people are more and more interested in these days, particularly with products that are made in the UK that have this sort of provenance. What tips would you give to anyone who was thinking of launching a brand how they can build that DNA and that storytelling into their business?
0: Well, I think for us, it was always something that that was part of the reason why why we started it. I think you have to. Uh, my advice would be just to before you even start, is to is to build the business around a, a, an interesting story or a, a sort of a, a genuine um, a genuine story and a genuine need for for what you're doing because that it gives you that sort of foundation right from the start to to give people a reason for why you're doing what you're doing. And then, and then that gives you the opportunity to to tell stories or uh, it's just sort of that narrative that, that means you aren't just launching a new um, X product. It's, it's, yeah, it's exactly. a, sort of a reason, a reason behind it. And I think more and more today people are thinking about um, kind of what products they're buying and whether they could be buying things in a slightly more responsible way. And I think to suddenly to, to be launching a, a new company just because you've had the idea won't necessarily ring as true as there's a reason to do this. And I think that's, that's, um, that's something that I would definitely, um, uh, recommend.
1: Yeah, exactly. And have you had feedback from your customers that that is, uh, you know, that they, they're buying into that?
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 are sort of lucky that we are still, um, uh, pretty small. So we have, we have a great dialogue with, with people that are are buying our products and, and, and yes, that it's sort of all the parts of the story resonate sort of differently with, with, with different people, whether it's that sort of food waste angle, whether it's the sort of the um, uh, reinvigorating a, a sort of a, a craft in the UK that is, is potentially on the, in the decline. There's there's always parts of the story that, that resonate with with different people. I think it's it's important to have that sort of mix so that you're not just sort of saying one thing.
1: And how have you used social media? Because I noticed that you're you've got the hashtag promote the goat, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love well, that. Where did promote the goat come from?
0: Well, it, I just think it's one of those things. You, that um, My business partner and I were were sort of talking about in this in the early days. It's how to how to make sure that people understand that that this isn't just any leather. This is um, this is goat leather, and there's a story behind it. And yeah, it's. Uh, stupid puns and uh plays on words either. yeah it's
1: good it's really good i'm going to be looking out for promote the goat on on instagram is that, is that the best place for people to find you if, if people want to follow you where's the best place for them to find billy tannery
0: yeah i think instagram is probably the best place so at billy tannery is where is this sort of a good window into all the different aspects of, of our business we we sort of we we post lots about um obviously our products and, and different sort of projects that we're doing and, and using Instagram stories, we, we do a little bit more sort of behind the scenes from actually in the tannery or, or or things like that. So, so yeah, I would say Instagram is probably the best place to sort of, to follow what we're up to, but we, we also have a, um, a monthly email newsletter, which is called the Billy drum, um, which comes out, uh, once a month at the end of the month. And, um, we, yeah, it's basically like a bit of a roundup of news that that we find interesting and is sort of it's in, in most ways linked to to either goats or to food or um we're using waste products or just all those sort of things that make up our brand we we um we sort of send out a pretty light-hearted monthly newsletter which which people seem to enjoy
1: brilliant well send me the link for that and i'll put that in the show notes for this podcast Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant, along with all the other places that people can find you, like your website and your Instagram. Fantastic. Jack, it's been really wonderful talking to you. Um, Is there anything else that you would like to say before we go? Let
0: me think. Well, I think it's, uh, I I would just second what I I said a little bit earlier, that we're always really keen to hear from from, from other brands, particularly um, British-made brands, who think, that uh, there might be an interesting way for us to collaborate i think um it's it's always been a big part of the way that we uh, want to grow our business is, is through collaboration so um so yeah if anyone's listening to this that uh, has been inspired then then yeah please get in touch because we're, we're always happy to have those conversations
1: fantastic thank you very much jack not at all thank you okay <laughs> thank you for joining me bye-bye bye-bye Thank you for listening to the Make It British podcast. I make an episode every Tuesday and Friday, plus there's also bonus episodes occasionally. So don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app so that you get notified every time a new episode goes live. And if you enjoyed the show, I would really love it if you left me just a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK thanks once again for listening to the make it british podcast bye bye